0: Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Thinking Tools podcast from Sense of Mind. I'm Andrew cooper Uh, Thanks for being here. Uh, the only announcement I have this week is that I will be appearing on the Bipolar Bachelor podcast, uh, which will be coming out at some point soon in the future. And uh, we've got some really cool stuff in the canon for you coming pretty soon. Other than that, I can't say too much about what's going on, but... Uh, just really excited about it and excited that you're here. Now, um, as always on this podcast, we are going to have a fact about the human brain, a tip, a happiness or productivity tip. Um, we'll also have a book recommendation. And uh, the whole episode will really uh, center on that book, kind of as always. In this case, it's this book, um, A History of the Human Brain by Brett Stetka. And uh, this is just a, a really cool book, a beautiful cover, too. So we'll be talking more about that pretty soon here. Um, and then in addition to the fact, the tip, and the uh, book recommendation, we'll have a quote from that book, as well as a um, kind of my thoughts um, about life, culture, current events as it relates to some idea from the book. So we'll get to all that in just a minute. Now, the only thing I want to say before we get into this is um, if you are listening to this and you want to get a full video version of the podcast, go to senseofmindshow.com slash newsletter and sign up for the free newsletter. Every week, I'll send you the full video version of the podcast directly to your email inbox, as well as the the most recent video um, that's publicly available on the YouTube channel. So um, if you're interested in that, go to senseofmindshow.com slash newsletter. Also, be sure to uh, give this podcast a five-star rating wherever you listen to it, or if you're on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Now, without further ado, let's get to today's fact, part one of the podcast, um, and that is about the evolution of mental illness and an interesting hypothesis about that. Where do mental illnesses come from? Clearly our life history, our experiences, have a lot to do with the answer. But many of us know that our genetics also are partly responsible, as mental illnesses tend to run in families to some extent, and studies in behavioral genetics confirm that the family resemblance is not merely due to a shared home or cultural environment, but due to our DNA as well. the contribution of uh, environment and family life notwithstanding the fact that our genes confer more or less risk of developing a mental illness like depression or schizophrenia for example raises a question why i mean shouldn't have natural selection have weeded them out one prominent hypothesis about the evolutionary origins of mental illnesses says no so Instead, it may be that some of the genes that confer certain cognitive advantages to our species may also put us at a greater risk of certain mental illnesses. As the science writer and physician Brett Stetka writes in his 2021 book, A History of the Human Brain, quote, Some psychiatric conditions might be pathologic exaggerations of beneficial traits. A little anxiety has clear evolutionary advantages, but a little too much is crippling. Another suggestive example is that of schizophrenia. Schizophrenia is a form of psychosis, which means that the way the schizophrenic brain processes information leads the individual to lose touch with reality. Yet, Stecka notes that a 2015 study showed that some of the same genes that confer increased risk of schizophrenia are also important for prefrontal cortical function that drives sophisticated higher order thinking. According to an article in Healthline, a number of creative and successful celebrities have schizophrenia. These include the guitarist Peter Green of Fleetwood Mac, and notably the mathematician John Nash, who made seminal contributions to the mathematics of game theory and was portrayed by Russell Crowe in the movie A Beautiful Mind. So the reality of all this is that these traits, creativity, intelligence, anxiety, or psychosis, among others, are the result of probably thousands of genes working together. Some genes play a bigger role than others, but no single gene is responsible in isolation. And as noted, genes play out in our environment and through the course of our lives. It's ultimately this intertwined relationship of the two that makes us who we are. Now, whatever the precise story, the fact is that the details of how we evolved, both how our genes changed and what environments our species lived in, influence our brains today. For example, our evolved neurobiology benefits particularly from ingesting certain nutrients, and this leads me to part two of today's episode, which is about nutrition and brain health. Okay, part two, the tip. So, fish contain a particularly high concentration of a certain class of fatty acids called omega-3s. Interestingly, these fatty acids appear to be very good for our brains, possibly protecting us to some extent against Alzheimer's disease and depression. In uh, A History of the Human Brain, this one, author Brett Stetka lists some of the effects of omega 3s on the brain. They provide structural support for neurons, they're involved with cellular communication, and they boost levels of brain derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, which helps neurons grow and survive. Now, while these particular brain health benefits alone are rather general, uh, studies have shown that taking in more omega-3s seems to provide a buffer against depression, and they may help with ADHD in children, may help them to focus. You may now be thinking about heading to Amazon to buy omega-3 supplements, and that may not be a bad idea, although you should always consult your physician if you're thinking about changing your supplements or adding new ones. But as Stetka notes, uh, it's probably much better to get your omega-3s the old-fashioned way by eating foods that contain them. Fish and other seafood are particularly good sources. Now, if you do go the supplement route, then fish oil, rather than a synthetic alternative, is probably preferable and easier for your body to absorb. Now, that last point may hold true for other nutrients as well. In other words, getting them through the food you eat may allow your body to incorporate them into your tissues more easily and efficiently. Still, crafting such a diet can be difficult, so supplements are not always a bad idea. And a great resource that I list below is examine.com, which synthesizes the available clinical trials and other studies on all kinds of supplements and gives you the ability to evaluate the evidence for yourself. Also, I learned on a recent episode of neuroscientist Andrew Huberman's podcast, The Huberman Lab, that you should look for a stamp on the label of supplements that says GMP, which stands for Good Manufacturing Processes or Practices. And uh, that indicates that the product is likely to contain what it says and to not contain high levels of various toxins. Now, Brett Stetka, the author of this book, is a former physician and neuroscientist researcher, and now he's a science writer who focuses on neuroscience and evolution. So let's now turn to the third part of today's episode, my review of his 2021 book, The History of the Human Brain, From Sea Sponge to CRISPR, How Our Brains Evolved. All right, so this is part three, the book. Now, one thing that I really appreciate about this book, in addition to its beautiful cover, uh, is its brevity combined with the density of the information presented. So it manages to walk us through billions of years of evolution while explaining some of the fundamental principles of neuroscience along the way. Stetka begins by noting our close evolutionary relationship to the great apes, uh, which are the chimpanzees, orangutans, bonobos, and gorillas, and that they are all very human-like, especially when it comes to chimps and bonobos, the two most intelligent ape species. These are our closest living relatives in the animal kingdom, and our social lives seem to be reflected in theirs. Before moving on to how our bodies and brains evolved, Stetka gives a sketch of what is known about the origin of life, from chemistry to the origin of multicellularity, and the telling pseudo-social similarities between the cells of our bodies and those of bacterial colonies. He then describes how fossil evidence and genetics have converged to show the evolutionary trajectory of animal skeletons, from fish to reptiles to mammals to primates to hominids to homo sapiens. Now, one obvious change in that sequence was that our species came to walk upright, um, and that allowed us to use our hands and to evolve increasingly sophisticated uses of them. Our brains, too, harbor certain classes of neurons that are only present in highly social and intelligent species, the von Economo neurons that are in the great apes, dolphins, and elephants. Social intelligence combined with our ability to cleverly exploit natural resources were major milestones in our evolution. Yet part of our sociality as a species manifests as tendencies towards violence. Debates exist as to whether civilization, moving from hunting and gathering to agriculture and eventually city life, has made us more violent or less violent. I personally side with arguments made by people like Steven Pinker that while trade-offs do exist, civilization has been a boon to the safety of human beings. And that argument really originates with the philosopher Thomas Hobbes. In addition to that plausible role of civilization, Also tempering our violent side is our proclivity for cooperation and compassion, which, like our violent tendencies, also supersedes that of any other animal. And this, too, is written in our DNA, at least to some extent. Language and the range of emotions, especially social emotions that tend to bond group members, are obvious contributors to who we are. Yet the emotions, as well as the building blocks of language, appear to be present in other species, especially the great apes. Our harnessing of fire helped facilitate our abilities to both eat a greater range of food including meat and otherwise tough vegetables with more ease, and to stay up later and strategize about the future well into the night. Fish and meat in general have been particularly important for brain evolution as the density of nutrients and the particular fats most often found in animal tissues are important for brain health, as I mentioned earlier. Creativity and our ability to believe in stories, myths, and belief systems were largely cultural adaptations, but they surely have foundations and roots in our DNA. These developments allowed us to form civilizations, and our beliefs continue to hold our societies together today. Nobody knows what the future will bring as far as human evolution is concerned. As far as current evolutionary trends, it's hard to tell, and the jury is still out as to whether we, as an entire species, are actually evolving in any significant way. Yet, with the advent of precise tools for genetic engineering, like CRISPR-Cas9, we may see human biology change in more or less subtle ways at the level of the individual gene. Still, the fact that many genes influence a single trait will make it hard to direct evolution even if we think that's desirable, and that's not certain either. I recommend this book if you want a brief and accessible review of the evolution of humanity. It's not comprehensive, but it does touch on many of the debates, and it shows where there's consensus, and it brings the reader on an enjoyable tour of what we know about the natural history of the human brain. Now, this leads me to part four of this episode, the quote from this book. On page 228 of A History of the Human Brain, Stetke writes that, The evolution of the human brain isn't the story of a single influence or trait. It's an interwoven patchwork of selection and culture taking place over millions of years. Our diets, our creative pursuits, our friends, our tools, our fire. Now I think this really gets at the theme of this book. That there are so many explanatory threads when it comes to something as complex as how the human brain arose and came to be as it is today. Often, scientists and science communicators will try to single out one thing about us that differentiates humanity from the rest of the animal kingdom. But the plain reality is that, like all other species, what differentiates us from our evolutionary cousins is a suite of mental characteristics, brain wiring and other biological peculiarities that combine to define what it means to be human. We are not the only social species, nor the only communicative one nor the only intelligent one, nor even are we the only species that uses tools or thinks about the future. But when you put all of those together, in the right amounts and in the right way, and you combine that with the rest of our biology, you get a human being. Now one rather disturbing aspect of ourselves that we share with other animals, as noted earlier, is violence. Moreover, our closest living cousins, the chimpanzees, have exib- exhibited some of the same systematic violence and conquest that survives in some humans. And this leads me to part 5 of this podcast, my thoughts. So, in the chapter on violence in A History of the Human Brain, Stetka describes one bone-chilling finding of an anthropologist who studies chimpanzees, named John Mitani. Over the course of about 20 years, Mitani observed chimps in one group that would fairly regularly go to a neighboring group's territory, then proceed to raid and kill many of the rival chimps. In 2009, he witnessed the apex of this trend. The first group of chimps began to expand into the area where they had quote, systematically killed many rival chimps. In other words, the chimps were stealing the land of their neighbors who they had seemingly purposely wiped out of existence. The similarity to human warfare, especially what's going on between Russia and the Ukraine right now, is hard to miss. We tend to think of these barbaric takeovers as uniquely human, partly because the strategy and planning involved would seem to require a certain cognitive repertoire that humans alone have. But the fact that chimps do this, albeit to a much less sophisticated degree, should challenge that notion. Now, The reality is that chimps may be the only other species that does this kind of group violence. And while they are our closest evolutionary cousins, we are actually equally closely related to the much more peaceful bonobos. Perhaps then, while a proclivity for this group violence is in our genes, as it is likely for chimps as well, so too must our ability to not only restrain that impulse, but to foster our softer, more compassionate side as well. We can see from the decline of violence throughout history that we can indeed get better. We can become less violent, and we have. The fact that the Russian invasion of Ukraine is now so surprising and rare is one sign of that progress. However, I think that recognizing the darker side of human nature is helpful in curbing our unsavory tendencies toward violence, and is also a suggestion that even as the world gets more peaceful, It's important to guard our civilizations against those who would exploit our better angels and tear down the foundations of peace and prosperity. All this is to say that we should try to reduce violence, especially war, but we should remember that not all human groups will do this at once, and so we must remain vigilant and protective of the ground we've gained over the past several thousand years. Perhaps the deep roots of this dual nature is the most consequential and far-reaching lesson about the evolution of the human brain. All right, well, that does it for today's episode. Um, Thank you so much for listening. I'd love to hear what you have to say in the comments. Uh, So head over to YouTube or shoot me an email with what you think at um, senseofmindshow@gmail.com. at gmail.com. And again, I just want to remind you to uh, subscribe to the show on YouTube or subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to it. Give it a like or a five-star review if you think it deserves it. And um, also check out, if you want the full video version and you don't want to miss anything new from Sense of Mind, make sure to go to senseofmindshow.com newsletter and sign up for free for the newsletter. Uh, I'll never spam you with ads and it's totally secure and totally free. So definitely check that out. And uh, yeah, thank you again for listening and for being here. Um, As always, this show, this channel is brought to you by the Diamond Mind Foundation. And this episode was written and produced by me, Andrew Cooper Sansom. Thank you so much for watching. I'll catch you next time.